You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, Ellie Honig here, and I'm excited to bring you the audio of my weekly note to the cafe community where I analyze news at the intersection of law and politics. Before we get started, I want to let you know about a brand new cafe podcast, Now and Then, hosted by historians Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman. Every Tuesday, Heather and Joanne explore current events in the larger context of American history and look back at historical parallels to help us understand our present moment. You can listen to Now and Then on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. First episode drops on June 1st. And I'll have more news soon right here about an upcoming podcast that I think you're going to love. I think it will blow your mind. It draws on my experience as a prosecutor in the Southern District of New York as a little teaser. Thank you all for listening. And as always, please send us any thoughts and questions to letters at cafe.com. And now on to my note. Quick warning before we start, this one involves some references to violence and sexual acts, so if you have kids around, you might want to throw on some headphones first. I wonder whether Joel Greenberg will be just too much, too much for a jury to take, too much for a jury to bear, too much for a jury to accept. I can still remember the moment it happened to one of my cooperating witnesses, John A. Light. Alight had spent the better part of two decades as a lethal enforcer for the Gambino organized crime family, and he was our star witness in the case against John Gotti Jr. Alight had punched out and baseball batted, yes, he used this phrase as a verb, baseball batted, and shot so many people that it took us months to work it all out. In the end, he couldn't even recall exactly how many people he had shot, so we estimated it at mid-30s. Most of them non-lethal, by the way. A-Light developed a trademark of shooting his victims in the legs and the butt to send a message, though he also did kill or arrange the killings of three victims. So yeah, bad guy. None of that is what pushed the jury over the edge, however. It was the story of the contractor who A-Light had hired to do work on his house while A-Light was away on vacation. A neighbor later reported to A-Light that one night he looked through a window into A-Light's home and saw the contractor having sex with a woman on A-Light's bed. A-Light, well, he didn't appreciate that. So, A-Light testified to the jury, he tied up his trained attack dog on a leash in his garage. He then lured the contractor into the garage and at gunpoint, zip-tied him to a chair that was just inches beyond the leash dog's reach. A-Light then left the contractor there within breathing distance of the frenzied dog for hours. We're talking inventive, sadistic torture here for the contractor and for the dog, really. It got worse. A-Light then untied the contractor and marched him still at gunpoint to a small pond behind the house. A-Light made the contractor walk into the frigid, waste-deep water 
and fired shots as the contractor flailed and splashed for his life. A-Light didn't hit the contractor with any shots. He never meant to. But again, inventive, sadistic torture. If your stomach is turning, so too was the jury's. It was just too much. The jury had listened carefully to A-Light throughout his testimony leading up to that point. I'm not saying they loved him, but they seemed attentive. But as he told his sordid tale of the dog and the pond, I could feel the jury turn off. I saw at least one juror simply stop taking notes. They likely didn't disbelieve A-Light. Why would he make up such horrible stories about himself? But it just got to a point where it was more than they could bear. This is rare, even for cooperators, all of whom are, by definition, confessed criminals. I've called plenty of cooperators who've committed murders, robberies, extortions, virtually every crime in the book. And juries generally accept their testimony in the end. But sometimes it's just too much. Which brings us to Greenberg. If I'm the prosecutor handling the Greenberg case and whatever other cases may come out of his cooperation, and rest assured, there will be others, This is my biggest concern, that his conduct might be just too outrageous for a jury to bear. I've seen some wild rap sheets. Remember, I used to prosecute professional criminals who spent their entire careers, such as they were, in the mob. But I've never seen an array of crimes quite as grotesque, varied, and pathological as Greenberg's. The most serious charge to which Greenberg has now pled guilty is sex trafficking of a minor. That's about as heinous a starting point as one can imagine. Greenberg has now admitted that he paid to transport a minor across state lines for sex. And according to the prosecutor's papers, Greenberg introduced other men who engaged in commercial sex acts with the minor. I've put murderers on the stand, but this feels like an even tougher sell in a sense. I could always tell a jury, Yeah, he's a killer. He's admitted that. And he killed with and for the mob and for this defendant. In a sense, that's more palatable than sexual abuse of a minor, particularly if Greenberg himself was the primary driver of the operation. And that's just one of many crimes that Greenberg has now admitted. He also engineered a scheme to steal driver's licenses and to adopt false identities, a fraud involving complex cryptocurrency transactions, and a coordinated theft from a COVID relief fund. You have to hand it to Greenberg. The COVID fund was barely up and running before he found a way to rip it off. If that's not enough to call into question Greenberg's credibility, he also pled guilty to a federal stalking violation, which, when you dig into the facts, is even worse than it sounds. Here's what happened. A Florida teacher filed paperwork to challenge Greenberg in an election. Somehow, Greenberg had gotten himself elected as a local tax assessor, a position he promptly abused by committing the aforementioned crimes. Greenberg then engaged in a wild campaign to falsely accuse the teacher of being a pedophile. The irony and projectionism here are off the charts. So too are the possibilities for cross-examination. Greenberg falsely accused a person of being a pedophile for his own personal gain once before. So why wouldn't he do it again? How then does a prosecutor build a case around Greenberg as a star witness? The answer, in a word, corroboration. Prosecutors are rightly obsessed with corroboration, with building independent evidentiary support for as much of a cooperator's testimony as possible. Sometimes corroboration can be minor, incidental, but significant. If, for example, a prosecutor says he spoke on the phone frequently with the defendant, phone records can confirm that there were, in fact, a certain number of calls between the two during a certain time period. Other times, it can go to the heart of the issue in dispute. 
For example, if a cooperator says that in one of those calls, they discuss the very criminal scheme at issue, a wiretap recording of that call, if prosecutors are lucky enough to have one, could confirm exactly that. Prosecutors do seem to understand that the need for corroboration of Greenberg is particularly acute. They conspicuously larded Greenberg's plea papers with specific references to financial records, travel documents, phone records, texts, and other evidence that supports his testimony. Almost as if to say, we know he's especially bad, but we've got the goods to back him up. Risk at trial should be, and logically is, a zero-sum game. One side, quote-unquote, wins. The other side loses. And as one of those probabilities goes up, the other goes down. But here, it somehow seems that the risks for both sides are elevated. Prosecutors face a chance that even if they corroborate Greenberg's every utterance, a jury, or perhaps a single juror, will simply turn on him. And any person who might be charged based on Greenberg's testimony risks that a jury will put aside its visceral disgust, focus dispassionately on the evidence, and conclude that Greenberg, vile as he is, has come clean and is amply backed up. Ultimately, then, the question about Greenberg might not be whether he tells the truth. It might be simply whether a jury can stomach the cold reality. Stay safe and stay informed, everybody.